Okay, we're going to wrap up chapter 5, or in verse 27. And it says that King Shlomo raised a levy out of all of Israel. And that levy that he imposed was 30,000 men. So Shlomo is now taxing the Jewish people, and it's coming in the form of labor, compulsory labor. And it's 30,000 men that are going to work for the Beit HaMikdash. And verse 28 tells us what they're going to do. He sent them to Lebanon. 10,000 a month in rotation, a month in Lebanon, two months at home. And Adoniram was over the levy. Adoniram was, was in charge of this because it was a compulsory levy that the Jewish people had to build the Beit HaMikdash. Their contribution was go to Lebanon and cut the trees there. Now, it wasn't that all 30,000 worked at one time, as we see in the verse, 10,000 each time, they, they worked in shifts. So there would be one month in, in, in Lebanon, two months at home. That means each man worked only four months out of the year. And verse 29 says the following, and Shlomo had 70,000 who bore burdens. In Hebrew, that would, they were sabalim, or schleppers would be the Yiddish word. 70,000 schleppers, heavy, heavy schlepping we're talking about, bearing heavy burdens. And 80,000 that were hewers in the mountains. That means another 80,000 were cutters or choppers in the mountain. That's 150,000 non-Jews. Verse 29 is talking about the non-Jewish labor. So the question has to be raised, where did these non-Jewish residents of the land who worked for Solomon here, where they come from? Well, we know that if you go back to the book of Joshua, that it's true Joshua conquered the land of Israel from the Canaanites, but we see lots of verses throughout that he did not completely drive them out of the land of Israel. So we see verses all over there that they did not dispossess the inhabitants of the land all the way. They left many pockets of Canaanites, of the population, inside Israel, and the tribes had to deal with them, and they really never succeeded in totally driving them out. As a matter of fact, in the book of Judges, the book of Judges, the very beginning of it, at the end of the first chapter, beginning of the second chapter, they give a list of the tribes of Israel who did not succeed in driving out the inhabitants of the land of, of, of those Canaanites who were in their particular portion, and the Jews are severely, severely admonished for not driving out the inhabitants of the land completely, and it became a snare to them, thorns in their eyes, as the angel tells them there in the book of Judges chapter 2. Now, the halach is the following. It says that when Joshua came into the land, he sent three letters upon, upon entering before entering the land and the letter gave the Canaanite people three options the first option was you can leave we're coming in you have the option to flee the second option was was to fight which most obviously did because they weren't going to abandon the premises for the Jewish people they had lived there many years and so they weren't likely to just leave, even if they knew the Jewish people were a strong army and there were miracles for them in the desert. Obviously, they weren't going to just abandon the, the, the land and flee. So most of them fought. As we see in the book of Joshua, there was a seven-year conquest and so forth. The third option was to lahashlim, which means to come to terms and make peace with the Jewish people. And that means, too, they ha that has conditions. 
to, for the peace, that they have to observe the seven mitzvahs of B'nai Noach, the seven Noahside laws, plus they have to pay taxes and servitude. If they do those three things and they make peace, again, the seven Noahside laws and taxes and servitude, then they can be resident strangers. They have the status of a resident stranger in the land of Israel, and then they're allowed to be there. So, these 150,000, maybe some of them were resident strangers, maybe some weren't. We know that David, in the end of Shmuel, the, the last chapter, we see that he did not conquer the Yivusites from Jerusalem. We have a whole story where he has to, after a terrible plague, he has to run to the Temple Mount and speak to the Yivusite, Aravna, his name is, and buy the Temple Mount from him. So we see a strong population of non-Jews in Jerusalem yet. And David had conquered the entire world at that point. <laughs> yet we still, we still see a strong presence of Canaanites, in this case Yivusites, in the land of Israel. Now, many commentators tell us that these 150,000 non-Jewish residents were the Givonim. Who are the Givonim? Well, it's a story back in chapter 9 in the book of Joshua, that when Joshua conquered the land, he had just started to do so. He conquered Jericho, he conquered Ai, the city of Ai. And then these Gibonites came, the Gibonim, Gibeonites, and they were really part of the seven nations. They were Chivim, Chivites. They were one of the seven nations, but they pretended to be a faraway nation. They came from far away, a distant land. They, they said they um, put sands in their shoes and their clothes looked worn and tattered and they actually fooled Joshua and the Jewish people. Into, they fooled them into thinking that they were not Canaanites. They, not, they were not part of the seven nations. They were from a distant land and they made the Jewish people swear to them that they would not hurt them, they would not harm them, that they promised to serve the Jewish people in exchange that they will not be killed. And they stayed with the Jewish people. Now, they lied. But because the Jewish people had already swore to them, they could not touch these Gibeonites, and they remained with the Jewish people, and those are the schleppers, the sabalim, the carriers and woodcutters you see here in Verse 29. Okay, verse 30. And besides these workers, Shlomo had chief, officer, chief officers that they were responsible or supervised over the work. 3,300 of these men were assigned over the people that did the work. That means the 3,300 men here were assigned over the 150,000 non-Jewish residents who did this um, carrying of stone and cutting of the stone. That's about one supervisor for 50 workers. That was the ratio. Verse 31, And the king commanded, and they quarried great stones, costly stones, to lay the foundation of the temple with hewn stone. Costly stones in Hebrew is avanim yekarot, which literally means precious, precious stones. Some say it means very heavy stones. But we see how Shlomo didn't cut corners on this temple. Even the foundation, which nobody sees, was made of the most beautiful and precious stones. And finally, verse 32, and Solomon's builders, and Hiram's builders, and the Jibalites, that's another nation, now they're called Jibalites, they were obviously also skilled stonemasons, and they were in northern Lebanon. 
these men all together fashion the stones, prepare the timber and the stones to build the temple. That is, they fashion the stones and they dress them and they were able to shape them to fit into one another. So by the time these stones came to the temple, to, to, to the temple, to the temple mount for building, they just had to be assembled like, a, like Lego, like it was like prefab housing, which is amazing technology for that time. And we'll see in the next chapter, in verse 7, that not even a hammer or iron tools were necessary when they got to the Temple Mount because the whole thing was just already prefab and put together already. One, to fit in, one piece fits into one another. And that's pretty amazing uh, architecture. And so um, one of the reasons they did it that way is because it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 21, that when you build the altar, you're not allowed to use iron tools because a sword is made of iron and the sword cuts man's life short, and the altar lengthens the life of man, and therefore it's not befitting to use any kind of iron tools uh, on the altar. And Shlomo took this principle, took this rule, and he applied it to the entire temple. When he built the temple, he did not use hammers or nails. They get to the, Everything got to the temple mount, ready to be assembled. So that now we've concluded... Chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty and the details of the building of Shlomo's Beit HaMikdash, Shlomo's Temple.